very special verse for today, Luke 15, verse 10. Likewise, I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. Sometimes we lose the significance. We get caught in the bigness. One sinner, each soul, every soul is that significant to God. And today is a day that not only are we rejoicing here, but even the angels in heaven, there is great joy with the angels in heaven and the presence of God. And then, again, how God's word, every piece, ties together. We've only been here for two Sundays, and both Sundays that we've been here, the Sunday school has been, to me, a tremendous challenge, encouragement, and blessing. But as we were singing that last song tonight, Great is Thy Faithfulness, uh, one of the first things my mind went to is, how can one complain that they can truly sing that song? How can we ever complain? Sometimes we say we're not complaining, we're just stating the facts. But we have strange ways of stating the facts sometimes, don't we? It's hot outside. Okay, that's fact. But what's the significance when we're saying that? How often are we saying it? Is there a complaint when we're saying it uh, sort of thing? And I was sharing in men's prayer time. I was at Lowe's yesterday, and I was coming out from the garden center, and there was another man coming from the other way. We were parked in the same general area. He has the same hairdo I have, but I had a hat on, and he did not. And he called from about two aisles over, a man I've never seen in my life, from about two aisles over, and he said, man, is it hot. He said, this is hot enough to make you want to go to church. And I said something back to him, and he said, this is hot enough, who would ever want to go to hell? I said, but God has made provision for every one of us that we can have that absolute assurance and allow the opportunity of opening that door. Uh, but we need to realize sometimes we can complain or we can state the facts and use that for the door of opportunity of giving glory to God and praise to God. If you would this evening, please turn first to First Kings chapter 15 and put your finger there and then turn to Second Chronicles chapter 13. <clears throat> How many of you are great students of the kings of Israel and Judah? <laughs> I wish I could name every one of the kings and that I could give the attributes of every one of the kings. I can't do it. But every time as I read through, do my Bible reading through for the year, as I get to uh, this portion, it's, to me it's one of the richest portions of instruction for us. God's given to us for an example and to instruct us. It's the character of man. It's the character that we have today in our own lives and so many things that we can learn. But tonight we're going to look at the uh, second king after Solomon over the nation of Judah. We're going to be looking at Abijah tonight. And if you would, uh, Second Chronicles 13, we're going to read a bit lengthy of a passage. And I say that without any apology whatsoever. I know there are those that say we need to keep our scripture reading short because of people's attention span. If your attention span isn't long enough to follow these passages, you're not going to follow the message anyway. And secondly, the Word of God is more important than anything that any man's going to say up here aside from the Word of God. So it's not with apology uh, as I uh, read this. But we're going to start uh, here in Second Chronicles chapter 13, begin with verse 1. 
If you'd follow along with me, please. Now, in the 18th year of King Jeroboam, began Abijah to reign over Judah. He reigned three years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was also Micaiah, the daughter of Uriel of Gabeah. And there was war against Abijah and Jerobo- between Abijah and Jeroboam. And Abijah set the battle in array with an army of valiant men of war, even 400,000 chosen men. Jeroboam also set the battle in array against him with 800,000 chosen men, being mighty men of valor. And Abijah stood up upon Mount Zemaram, which is in Mount Ephraim, and said, Hear me, thy Jeroboam, and all Israel. Ought ye not to know that the Lord God of Israel gave the kingdom over Israel to David forever, even to him and to his sons by a covenant of salt? Yet Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, the servant of Solomon, the son of David, is risen up and hath rebelled against his Lord. And there are gathered unto him vain men, the children of Belial, and hath strengthened themselves against Jeroboam, the son of Solomon, when Rehoboam was young and tender-hearted and could not withstand them. Now this may sound like it's pulling on the heartstrings a little bit, that Rehoboam was young and tender-hearted. What that, he was 40 years old when he became king. Not even for a 65-year-old man is that considered young. Uh, that is an older man. He was young and understanding of being a king. He was young and understanding regarding how to be the leader of a nation that's shown by how he took counsel, who he went to for his counsel. He was young and he was tender-hearted. You know, the more clear word for tender-hearted was he was a coward. He was cowardly. So he was young and tender-hearted. He was cowardly. He was not a man of valor. He was not a brave man. And he could not withstand them. And now you think to withstand the kingdom of the Lord in the hand of the sons of David. In other words, he's saying, now you think you're going to stand up against me. Uh-uh, Dad's not on the scene anymore. Now you have to answer to me. And he thinks he's something more special that has arrived on the scene. And now you think to withstand the kingdom of the Lord in the hand of the sons of David. And you'd be a great multitude. And there are with you golden calves, which Jeroboam made you for gods. Have you not cast out the priest of the Lord the sons of Aaron and the Levites, and have made you priest after the manner of the nations of other lands, so that whosoever cometh to consecrate himself with the young bullock and seven rams, the same may be a priest of them that are no gods. But as for us, the Lord is our God, and we have not forsaken him. And the priests which minister unto the Lord are the sons of Aaron, and the Levites wait upon their business." And they burn unto the Lord every morning and every evening burnt sacrifices and sweet incense. The showbread also set they in order upon the pure table and the candlestick of gold with the lamps thereof to burn everything. For we keep the charge of the Lord our God, but ye have forsaken him. And behold, God himself is with us for our captain and his priest with sounding trumpets to cry alarm against you. O children of Israel, fight ye not against the Lord God of your fathers, for ye shall not prosper. Let's pray, please. 
Father, we thank you again for the privilege that we have to be here today. We thank you for the privilege of living in a land that has provided us great freedoms and great prosperity, a land in which we've had the privilege of hearing your word preached and taught, that we've had the privilege of holding your word in our hands, that we've had the privilege of knowing godly men and women that came before us. Father, land in which we have the privilege of making choices, whether they be choices for right or choices for wrong. And I pray tonight as we come together, as we look into your word, Father, I pray that there would be a quietening of every heart that is here to set aside any thought of any distraction, anything outside. Father, I pray that there would be a turning of every heart here, not to a man, but to thy word. And Father, I pray now that you'd help me to be able to clearly be a vessel to clearly communicate the truth of thy word in a manner that would not create confusion, but Father, in a manner that thy spirit would be able to bring honor and glory to thee by working in our hearts that matter, that need that is in the heart of every one of us. In Jesus' name we thank thee and we pray. Amen. As we read this portion of scripture, Abijah had just become king after Rehoboam his dad, and uh, reading as he's getting ready to go to war. We're going to look at it in a little more detail, but I want you to think for a minute as we read this portion of Scripture, doesn't it sound like Abijah is a godly man, that he has the concern for the glory of God, that he had concern for the nation of Israel about him, and that here he was proclaiming God's word, as we're going to look at in a little bit, proclaiming what God had said. Here we see that he was going to fight a battle that looks like the battle is the Lord's and he was calling on God for help. And as you read this, wouldn't you say this is a man that we need to really look to for an example for developing in our lives? And that, with that, I would like for you to turn over to Second to First Kings chapter fifteen. Begin verse one. We've read this portion in Second Chronicles chapter fourteen or chapter thirteen. Now in First Kings chapter fifteen. Begin verse 1. Now in the 18th year of King Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, reigned Abijam over Judah. Abijam and Abijah, as we're going to see, are the same man. Three years reigned he in Jerusalem, and his mother's name was Mekah, the daughter of Abishalom. And he walked in all the sins of his father, which he had done before him, and his heart was not perfect with the Lord his God as the heart of David his father. Nevertheless, for David's sake, did the Lord his God give him a lamp in Jerusalem to set up his son after him and to establish Jerusalem, because David did that which was right in the eyes of the Lord and turned aside from anything that he commanded him all the days of his life, save only in the matter of Uriah the Hittite. Here we're reading in two different books about the same man, but it almost doesn't sound like the same man, does it? One sounds like here's a man that is a man that feared God and wanted to honor God. And here in the other account that's given to him said, he walked in all the sins of his father, which was Rehoboam, which he had done before him, and his heart was not perfect with the Lord his God. So in one account we read of a man that was not a man after God's own heart, a man that was sinful, rebellious against God. And in the other a man that sounds like he wants to serve God, is there a conflict here? Is there a conflict in the word of God? No. 
God has given us the whole picture of understanding. And as we look at this tonight, I really want to use it to help us to understand more of our own character and our own lives that we need to grow, that we need to develop. Also to understand more the importance in studying the Bible, in studying God's Word. And the first aspect as we look at this matter of the studying of the Word of God, how easy it is if we're casually reading God's Word, if we're not truly studying it, how easy it is for us to get off on rabbit trails that are going to go off a cliff instead of helping us to grow in the knowledge and the understanding of the Word of God. Because if you just started reading there the account in Second Chronicles, this is a man you'd want to put on your list of my heroes of the faith, isn't it? Until you look back and you find out who the rest, what his character was. But in that, and in God allowing us to have this understanding of what seems like a conflict to us, it really gives us a picture of your heart and of my heart and of the battles that we have to face and that we have to deal with, that it's not a matter of uh, just everything being good, uh, clean, uh, clear-cut if we're looking at just one thing. In landscape design, one of the principles that they taught us was how to create feelings of space with the landscape. We have a very small, we've always lived in the country until we moved to Canada, and now we have a small yard, a very small yard. And we're putting up privacy fencing, which I found out yesterday one neighbor may not appreciate so much, even though they have a privacy fence on their yard. Uh, And she asked if we were actually going to put a privacy fence on our whole yard. And I said, well, our whole backyard we are. We want a private space which to have. But then as we do that, I don't want to make it feel like we're in a box. And one of the things that we learned in landscaping to create a feeling of more space is to have to look through something. And if you look straight out, or if you hold your fingers like this, to real, if you're not as bad-sighted as I am, it gives a feeling of distance or a feeling of depth. So from a landscape perspective, we're using some multi-trunk trees, small trees because of the small space, but they have several trunks. So when you look out, you're looking through several trunks, and it makes it gives a feel of it being bigger, being larger. Well, it's a little bit of the same thing here when we're able to look from two perspectives. We're getting a fuller perspective of what's going on in the life of this man here. But before we go into looking at Abijah specifically, I'd like for you to hold it in your finger, turn to Isaiah 9, verses 16 and 17. Because there's also the parallel of some of the things we discussed this morning regarding the nation in which we live today no different than any other nation before the sins of man. But Isaiah 9, begin verse 16. For the leaders of this people cause them to err, and they that are led of them are destroyed. Therefore the Lord shall have no joy in their young men, neither shall they shall have mercy on their fatherless and widows. For everyone is an hypocrite, and an evildoer, and every mouth speaketh folly. For all this his anger is not turned away, but his hand is stretched out still. For the leaders of this people cause them to err. We need to be careful that we don't allow the leaders of our land to cause us to err. It would be easy, but we need to be very careful. Do you realize they cannot make you err? 
They cannot make you do contrary to the word of God. They may, be the, they may put the pressure, they may be the wrong example, but they cannot force you or make you. And as we study through the nation of Israel and we see the people following kings like Rehoboam and Jeroboam and uh, Abijah, those men did not make the people err. They were bad leaders, but there was always that remnant of the faithful, godly remnant going through. By God's grace, may we be that faithful, godly remnant, or a part of that faithful, godly remnant in these days. But we're going to be looking at Abijah now for some principles for our own life. And first looking in 1 Kings chapter 15, the first account we have, you may say, well, uh, Brother Schmidt, there's two different names here. And actually, as we look at it, the two names have different meanings. Oftentimes, names are given to designate the meaning of a person, or the character of the person. Um, we had a president that was known as Slick Willie. And why was it? Because he was a deceit and a liar, and he was Teflon, that most people didn't have enough discernment to really figure out what was wrong with him. Uh, but his name uh, was a given name that was given to him by his parents. It was a totally different name. And here's where we look at the account in First Kings, the we have that his name was Abijam. Abijam, that word name literally means the sea is my father. So the name that's recorded here in 1 Kings was a name that was given to him. It was a name that really designated what his true character was. The sea is my father. And think of the sea, how unstable is the sea as the waves going up and down, ferocious, no stability whatsoever. Powerful can be very destructive. And Abijam, and then the character that was given of this man afterward, it's given the ungodly character of the man. Realize sitting within this congregation tonight, every one of us has an old nature. Saved or unsaved, there's the old nature of man. Which nature are you known by? Are you known by the old nature of man because you've not been born again? Are you still rebelling against God using all kinds of excuses? But you're rebelling against God. You're not going to be the winner in the end as long as you continue to do so. And here we see some of the things of Abijam that give some instruction and some warning for us. First of all, he only reigned for three years. Pretty short reign. And we're going to look toward the end as to why it was cut off so short. But in reality, we're going to look at some of the details. It was cut off short to make room make way for his son that was a more godly king to come in and to take his place. As we read the account of Abijah or Abijam in either one of the accounts, we're given a little bit of his heritage. He was the great-grandson of Absalom, so he's the great-great-grandson of King David. And through his mother's lineage, he went back to Absalom, the son of David that was known for being extremely rebellious, wasn't he? one that was powerful and strong, charismatic leader, but rebellious against God, rebellious against his father, the man that God has put as the authority over him and his family, but also as the authority over the nation, was rebellious against them and died a horrific death. I don't have to worry about getting hung by my hair for anybody to slay me, but still it was a horrific death. And we can think of things that would be horrific. The more horrific part was the heritage that he left and the testimony of what his life was. And that's the lineage that Abijah 
came from. <coughs> Excuse me. And then added to that, we read that he inherited his father's conflict with the Jeroboam. They inherited the conflict that had been going on with Israel uh, and Judah. So as we look at this, you say, that was centuries ago, millennia ago. How does that impact us today? We live in the same sin-cursed world that he lived in. Every one of us are born sinners, and every one of us have choices that we're going to make as we live amongst sinners. The thing that we need to understand, though, is that we make choices. We, do not, we cannot say that we're the victim of the heritage that we received. No man, no woman can ever say that. My dad did this. My mom did this. My grandfather did this. My gra- Every one of us could trace our family tree back, and I'm fine, sure find somebody we weren't very proud of. It might be immediate. It might be farther back. We can't claim victimhood for what we do. But as we read of Abijah, we read that he had really a royal heritage, a descendant of King David. He had God's word available to him. He had the Levites. He had the priest as we read here. But he made choices of the heritage that he's going to follow. And we see that he followed in the sinful footsteps of his father instead of in spiritual victory that God would have desired for him to have. He walked in the sins of Rehoboam. Second Chronicles 12, verse 14 in the right direction here, excuse me. Speaking of Rehoboam, this just puts it in a concise of what he, Rehoboam's character, and he did evil because he prepared not his heart to seek the Lord. That was the character of Rehoboam. That's the character that Abijah took. Now let me ask you tonight, what have you done to prepare your own heart regarding the matter of salvation or regarding the matter of growing with the Lord? Notice it doesn't say here he did evil because his father Solomon became a sinful man in his older age and rejected and rebelled against God and Rehoboam was the victim of growing up in a house where he saw these things going on and seeing the hypocrisy of his father. That's not what it says. It said Rehoboam did evil because he prepared not his own heart. Have you prepared your heart or have you hardened your heart? You've made the choice. Nobody else has made it or can make it for you. It's a choice that's not forced upon us. And it's one, your own heart affection. It's his heart affections that designated the path of his life, the path that he went. Now if you would turn over to Second Chronicles 13, and that's where we're going to be looking for the remainder of this time, where we see the name Abijah, the name he is more commonly known by, the name that was given to him at his birth. And the name Abijah literally means Jehovah is my father. What a heritage to be given that name. Jehovah is my father. I was given the name Lonnie. Who knows what that means? All I know is that my mom saw it in a magazine she was reading in the doctor's office when she was expecting me. Uh, and liked it. Beyond that, I have absolutely no idea what the word means. But here, his name was Abijah. Jehovah is my father. 
something that he would have known and would have understood, something that should have helped him grow in his own understanding. First of all, Jehovah, the great I am, the one that designates that relationship that God the Creator had with exclusively the nation of Israel to be their sustenance, their provider for all things, the great I am, the self-existent one, that he is my father. So he was given that heritage and name, but his heart rejected that heritage. And his heart decided to walk in its own desires, its own lust, and its own understanding. And I want us to look through this account that looks like it's the account of a godly man. And as we do, we're going to see the account of God's faithfulness regardless of the rebelliousness of men. We're also going to see, I hope you'll notice, God's mercy to continue working. At any point in here, Abijah could have turned his heart back to Jehovah. He rejected. Why did he reject? Pride. Every one of us deals with that matter of pride. And he allowed pride to be king instead of humbling his heart before God. So as we look at this, we're going to see the account of God's faithfulness, God's victory, God working out His plans for His purpose, regardless of the rebelliousness of men. Some will read the Scriptures and say, well, why did God do this or why did God do that? It's the sinful nature of man that brought those things about. If they're wicked, if they look bad, it's the sinful nature of man, it's the rebelliousness against God. That any time we read an account of Scripture where men were being killed, If men had humbled themselves before God, they would have known the victory. The judgment of God was coming upon them. But as we look here, starting in verse 3 of 1 Chronicles, or 2 Chronicles 13, And Abijah set the battle in array with with an army of valiant men of war. First of all, we see here that he set the battle in array. In other words, He was coming out, he was wanting the one, he really wanted to see this war. Uh, We've known of men in our own period of time, we know of men on the scene today that want war. We know of men that would like to do whatever they can to avoid war, but not willing to give compromise. And then we know of men that are willing to sell off everything to compromise and not willing to fight for that which is right. But as we read this, when he set the battle in array, This was a man that was doing it not because of the glory of God, but because of the pride of man, because of the pride of who he was. He was Abijah, the son of Rehoboam, the great-great-grandson of King David. And as he set the battle in array, we're going to see as he began to proclaim, he was proclaiming, because I'm a descendant of David and God promised for the nation of Israel with the covenant of salt, So you need to be following me. I need to be king, not wicked Jeroboam. So when he went out to set the battle in array, it was because of his own pride that he was doing that. God had already given commandment. First of all, in 1 Kings 11, we're not going to turn back there, but in 1 Kings 11, God told Solomon as a judgment upon Solomon's sin later in his life that the nation was going to be split. And it was split under Rehoboam. It was part of God's judgment on a sinful man that would not repent, that continued to rebel against God. God is still faithful to Israel, still loves Israel. There are promises yet to be fulfilled when Israel repents and turns back to God and not before. But as we read, God had 
already established the judgment because of the sin of Solomon, that it's going to be split, and there's not going to be a united kingdom under the throne of David after Solomon left the throne. So if he knew God's word, he already understood that there was a reason for that divide that had taken place. Then as we look in Second Chronicles chapter 11, and when Rehoboam began verse 1, and when Rehoboam was come to Jerusalem, after he had become king, when he was come to Jerusalem, he gathered to the house of Judah and Benjamin and hundred and fourscore thousand chosen men, which were warriors to fight against Israel, that he might bring the kingdom again to Rehoboam. So this is after Rehoboam had become stubborn, hard-headed, forsook sound counsel, took the ungodly counsel. The split had taken place between the two kingdoms. Rehoboam went back to Jerusalem and he said, I'm the descendant of David. I'm going to raise up the army and I'm going to battle and I'm going to reunite the nation. But look down in verse 4. Thus saith the Lord, this is message being given to Rehoboam. Thus saith the Lord, ye shall not go up nor fight against your brethren. Return every man to his house, for this thing is done of me. And they obeyed the words of the Lord and returned from going against Jeroboam. God told him that this division was from him, that they were not to try to reunite. So I believe Abijah knew that. It also gives us an understanding in some of the spiritual matters that we face today. There are penalties for sin. God forgives, but there are still scars that take place. There are certain disqualifications for a man being able to be a pastor. Certain disqualifications for a man being able to be a deacon. If they have confessed the sin, it's removed as far as the east is from the west from God. They're rebelling against God, though, if they say, well, I'm going to be anyway, and they go ahead and do it. And they cannot fully know the power of God nor the blessing of God in their life or their ministry if they do so. So here, this matter of the split having taken place, it was of God. It was for a purpose. It was to teach the nation of Israel the, uh, from the sinfulness of Solomon. But Abijah essentially was saying, well, I'm a generation removed. I'm better than my dad, and I'm going to set the battle in a ring. We're going to go out, and we're going to reunite the nation. We're going to bring everybody back together, even though God has chosen against it. And then verse 4, And Abijah stood up on Mount Zemarim, which is the Mount Ephraim, and said, Hear me, thou Jeroboam, and all Israel. He prepared the troops. He was giving warning. He said, well, he was giving them warning that gave them a chance to turn and to do right. Do you understand that if the heart is not right, that God's not going to bless? It's not going to bring the honor of God. And for... Uh, Abijah, his heart was not right. It was still rooted in pride. So would you really expect Jeroboam to be humbling himself and to bring everybody back together? Not at all. And he proclaimed the promise of God. Uh, Beginning with verse 5. Ought ye not to know that the Lord God of Israel gave the kingdom over Israel to David forever, even to him and to his sons, by a covenant of salt? Yet Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, the servant of Solomon, the son of David, is risen up and hath rebelled against his Lord. And there are gathered unto him vain men. First of all, let me ask you, who was it that set Jeroboam in place to be king over the nation of Israel? 
God set him up. And as we read through this, we need to be careful that we don't establish a false dichotomy in our own understanding, which is what we often do. We start looking at two things. We say, well, there's only one answer, one resolve to it, and this has to be it. And what it appears is the only thing that could happen is that they come back together under one king. But God had caused this division. So as um, Abijah was proclaiming God's word here, he said, and they're gathered uh, unto uh, Jeroboam, verse 7, they're gathered unto him vain men, the children of Belial, and have strengthened themselves against Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, when Rehoboam was young and tender-hearted and could not withstand them. A principle that, you know, I have to admit, I don't know that I have looked at it in the weight, if at all, that, as I did from Sunday school this morning. They weren't looking to God, were they? They were looking, he's pointing everybody to Rehoboam instead of back to God. And then verse 8, And now you think to withstand the kingdom of the Lord in the hand of the sons of David, and you be a great multitude, and there are with you golden calves, which Jeroboam made you for God's. Have you not cast out the priest of the Lord, the sons of Aaron and the Levites, and have made you priest after the manner of the nations of other lands, so that whosoever cometh to commensurate, to consecrate himself with a young bullock and seven rams, the same may be a priest of them that are no gods. So as he's proclaiming, he is proclaiming truth, but he's given a wrong application here, isn't he? was the only way that this could be resolved was to come back together under really a king with a wicked heart, to bring the nation back together as one when God had said that was not his will? Is that the only way that God could have been glorified? Absolutely not. They could have remained. Jeroboam could have repented, humbled himself, turned back to Jehovah. They could have destroyed the golden calves, and they could have brought themselves to where they still came back to Jerusalem for the right worship and have brought the Levites back into their cities and to have established the worship the way that God had intended it and to have still had the two kings going, but that didn't meet the desires of Abijah, this man filled with pride and wanting to bring everything back together for himself. So he was saying the right things, but it wasn't with the right heart, and he was bringing it to a wrong conclusion. Paul wrote in Romans chapter 10, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. If Abijah had been calling them back for the worship of Jehovah according to God's word, God would have worked the other situations out in his own time and glory, not in Abijah's plan and his deceitfulness. And as we look down verse 10. But as for us, this is again Abijah speaking. As for us, as for the northern kingdom, as for us, as for Judah, the Lord is our God, and we have not forsaken him. Let me ask you, had they forsaken him? With their hearts, most of them had. They were still doing the worship. They still had the priests. Uh, But sadly, we see of Abijah himself, the account that's given to us by God, that he was rebellious against God, that he was not perfect in the ways of God. But he's saying, we have not forsaken God, we have not forsaken him, and the priests which minister unto the Lord 
are the sons of Aaron, and the Levites wait upon their business. And they burn unto the Lord every morning and every evening, burnt sacrifices and sweet incense and showbread. And he goes on listing down uh, these things that they continue to do. For we keep the charge of the Lord our God, but ye have forsaken him. And behold, God himself is with us for our captain, and his priest with sounding trumpets to cry, cry alarm against you. O children of Israel, fight ye not against the Lord God of your fathers, for ye shall not prosper. He's calling out to them, but it's not from a, with a heart that is walking in the fear of God. Rehoboam had forsaken the law of the Lord and transgressed against him, and it said that's the heart of Abijah. So Abijah was proclaiming things that were truth, but not with a right heart. So what was happening if he was proclaiming it without a right heart? Can you imagine it was hardening the hearts of Jeroboam and the hearts of the nation of Israel more and more? That hypocrite up there, he's proclaiming God's word, and they harden their hearts all the more. That didn't give them an excuse to be disobedient to the word of God, though, did it? No. There was a hypocrite standing up there proclaiming, but it didn't give them the right. Any one of them could still have repented and turned from the false worship to have done right. So as we look at this, we need to realize hypocrisy does not give an excuse to anybody else. In verse 13, but Jeroboam caused an ambushment to come from behind and before, and as they ambushed and Judah saw ultimately, just to uh, bring things more concisely, God gave the victory to Abijah, to uh, Judah. You say, well, if Abijah's heart was wrong, how did that happen? How did that take place? We need to understand that Abijah was allowed, Abijah was used by God to chasten Jeroboam for his wickedness. Jeroboam did not live on after this. This brought Jeroboam to the end of his life. So Abijah was used by God to chasten Jeroboam. Rehoboam had wanted to destroy him. Rehoboam did not, was not able to. God used Abijah to bring the chastening upon Jeroboam. We realize that Abijah's power and position increased after the fight with Jeroboam. And as we read on, if you were to read the rest of the chapter, we see that he annexed cities, he pushed his boundaries out, that he enlarged his country in preparing for the next generation. But we also understand that his life was a very short life after that because his heart was not right. If you would look down to verse 18, reading it would look that God was blessing Abijah because he had won the victory. He was pushing the boundaries out. Then we see in verse 18, Thus the children of Israel were brought under at that time, and the children of Judah prevailed because they relied upon the Lord God of their fathers. And Abijah pursued Jeroboam and took cities from him. And he continued on until he recovered in verse 1. But Abijah waxed mighty and married 14 wives and begat 20 and 2 sons and 16 daughters. So after those victories, we see the pride now becoming more prevalent, more evident. Look what I did. Was the glory given to Jehovah? No. It was that he began to wax mighty himself, and then he started taking multiple wives and the children that he had. 
Isaiah 26 and verse 10. Let favor be showed to the wicked, yet will he not learn righteousness. In the land of uprightness will he deal unjustly, and he will not behold the majesty of the Lord. A perfect capsule for the life of Abijah. Let the favor be showed to the wicked. Abijah had seen the favor of God and the victory that had been brought in the expanding of the land, yet he humbled not his heart. He hardened his heart even farther and farther in pride. And the result is that he reigned for three years and his life was taken from him. And then his son Asa became king. His son Asa was one that uh, was more faithful with the things of God. So Abijah, even though he was a proud, arrogant man, Abijah said, look what I did. I proclaimed God's word. I led, I led in victory. I expanded the nation of Israel. When we read it, God worked to prepare the way for Asa, the king that would honor God to be able to reign. Asa was a man that even came into the point that he removed his grandmother as the, from being queen and tore down her places of wicked worship as well. So as we look at this passage, the things I want to challenge your hearts with tonight, first of all is the reading of Scripture. To be careful, as I hope you see, two accounts of the same man. If you just are studying casually, you could read this account and think, boy, Abijah was really a godly man that God greatly used. It means that we need to take a little bit of time to do some cross-referencing when we're reading. If you're reading, not reading chronologically, if you're reading through the Bible and you get to this portion, it's wise to look back and see what are the other references and the other books about this king. So you get the whole picture of the king so you have a better understanding. And that understanding isn't so you can bring judgment upon Abijah. That understanding is so you can have understanding in your own heart. Who am I? What are the dangers I am facing? What are the things I need to deal with in my own heart and my own life? Secondly, as we study this portion of Scripture, I pray that it will be an encouragement and a blessing to us for those that are seeking to walk righteously and justly. That there are times, Psalm 37, Psalm 73, are tremendous passages about some saints before us that struggled with this. But it looks like those that are wicked are prospering their judgment is going to come upon them. Abijah was wicked. His testimony, those that would have known him would have known he was wicked. They knew he was a hypocrite. God's judgment came upon him because he did not repent himself. God still worked his perfect plan for his honor and for his glory. And God worked it in such a way that it brought, actually the nation of Israel under Jeroboam, it brought them to another point of confrontation with truth. For them to make a choice, are they going to go ahead and follow in their national pride of the split nation, or are they going to humble themselves before God and to worship God according to God's word? So it gives us the understanding that even as we see what looks like the wicked prospering, God is the one that holds the heart in his hand, and he's directed for his honor and for his glory. And then lastly, I would like for us to look at the aspect of how are you preparing your heart? to be used of God. Are you sitting here tonight and you know there's a rebelliousness in your heart over some area? Well, it's a former church I used to belong to. Oh, my great-granddad had a moonshine still. 
So I'm sure that passed on down to me of some of that, and it's causing me struggles. Oh, my daddy spanked me with a belt that's this wide, and it hurt my self-esteem. Kids laughed at me at school. My job is hard. People mock me because I won't work on Sunday. You know, it's easy for us. What are you going to do in the midst of while it looks like the wicked are prospering? Are you going to choose to do right? First of all, to honor honor the Lord. Secondly, to have God's peace and power in your life. And thirdly, to prepare for the generation after you if the rapture doesn't occur, for them to have a heritage and to be instructed. Let's pray.